Well, welcome this morning. So glad to have be here with you. My name is Gord Holtzlander, and I'm one of the tall people here at church. Thank you. All four tall people clapping. <clears throat> I stood over here this morning, so I annoyed a whole different set of people who could not see the words. So that's my thing. As Austin mentioned, um, I've been attending Circle since 1992. And I was on staff for a decade and a half and a little bit. And so I am uh, delighted to be back with you again and not blocking your view of the screen like I usually do. And so, and I'm also very excited to continue talking about Acts and how the early church developed. And last week, John started us on that with the first two chapters of Acts. And as I've been thinking about community and things, I was thinking, you know, Saskatchewan, you know, you've heard that seven degrees of separation, and we all know in Saskatchewan that's at best two degrees of separation. But I was thinking, what is it that binds us as Saskatchewan folk together so tightly? And it struck me this past week in particular that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've accomplished, what kind of car you drive, what you can bring to the table in any way, because all of us, all the time, have to deal with this. And so I am praying that we are through third winter and now moving into construction season. Strong positive, because if we don't have construction season, well, then we have four-wheel drive season all year round. But <clears throat> so in Saskatchewan, we like to think of ourselves as living in a sort of a tight-knit community quite often. And so, as I said, John started to talk to us last week about how the church began with this tight community. And he had his points from that sermon that were that we cannot follow Jesus alone. We have to follow Jesus in community. Church is not an event to consume, but a community to participate in. And life is better in community. And sadly, he had to point out that we have changed church from a community of people, and we tend to think of it as church and event one hour out of the 168 hours in a week. He reminded us that the church spreads through people, not a building even as grand and marvelous a building as ours. And he reminded us that we cannot thrive in the way of Jesus without community. The only way we can mature effectively is to be around people that are not the same as us, 
And unfortunately, evangelical churches in particular have tended to create conditions for community. If you don't look like me, act like me, vote like me, dress like me, then I don't like you and you have to leave. And that is hard on community. Now Jesus modeled this community of not like people. And he gathered together his disciples and they were not very much like each other. I mean, you had radical overthrow the government people on one end and you had work with the government and be tax collectors on the other end. And in the middle you had a variety of other folk, fishermen and the like. And then Jesus said to them, in John 13, 34, and 35, he said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus knew that the process of creating a rich, full, vibrant community is just way too hard if there isn't love at the core. And love is the core of community. Love is the core of community. And we can have groups that meet together regularly who are not community. We can have churches that meet regularly that are not community. Love is at the core of community, and we read about love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Who doesn't want to be around people like that? Then the obvious question is, if there's people like that, why would they want to be around people like me? Who is not like that? And that is community. So, in those first two chapters of Acts, you know, Jesus in the end of Luke. Now, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Those are all in the New Testament, sort of the second half of the Bible. And so in Luke, Luke recounts this, the account of Jesus and his ministry. And then in Acts, he carries on that story uh, in the days after the resurrection and then how the church develops and grows. And so, as I said, John took us through the first two chapters of Acts last week, and now I want us to go into chapter 3. So, and in chapter 3, we see Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, and they are going up to the temple to pray. And in the Jewish tradition, Nine in the morning, noon, and three in the afternoon were considered particularly good times to pray, and so lots of people would go at those times. 
and the followers of Jesus carried on that tradition. And so Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And as they were walking into the temple, they were going through the gate called Beautiful. I'm not sure if it was beautiful or just the name of the gate, but they went through the gate called Beautiful. And at that gate, there was a man sitting. That man had been lame from birth. He had never walked. He was 40 years old, never walked. He'd been unable to work his whole life in any way other than by having people take him to the gate of the temple so that he could beg and keep body and soul together. So he's at the, t at the gate. Peter and John are walking in. This man is always at the gate. This is his place. And as they walked in, they looked at him. And I don't know if they did the nudge or the Holy Spirit did the nudge, but they looked at this man. And then, I must admit, I always thought of what happens next as Peter being rude, brusque Peter. And, uh, and he says to them, he says to the man, look at us. Okay, you could just throw some coins in the hat, you know, you don't have to make it into a thing. But he says, look at us. And the man does, because when somebody shouts at you and you're begging, you assume they're going to give you money. Now, as I said, I've always thought of that as Peter being rude. This week, as I was thinking about this some more, it crossed my mind that if you are walking downtown and there's people begging, some of them are aggressive and in your face, that is definitely true. But a lot of them just have a hat or a cup, and they're sitting there, head down. They're not making eye contact. And I suspect their demeanor shows how they feel about the activity they're engaged in. This is not where they would choose to be if they had other options. They don't feel great about this being how they keep body and soul together, but it's their only option. So as I thought more about this, I thought, actually, Peter is being kind here. He says, look at us. We see you. You are another human being, and we see you in your situation. Look at us. So the man looks at them, and of course, he assumes excellent donations. And then Peter goes, silver and gold, have I none? Okay, maybe it's a sandwich coming, maybe it's, I don't know, it's got to be something. Peter, and, Peter says, silver and gold, have I none? But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, 
walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as that same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. It's a miracle. The lame man is physically healed. It's amazing. But more importantly, he's also restored to community. He can fully participate in the prayers at 9 and 12 and 3. He can be part of the community. He can leap and dance and sing with the community, something he's never done his whole life. And all because Peter said, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you. But what I do have, I give to you. Now, I can already hear some of you, the wheels grinding, going, oh, great, super. I am released to use my power of doing miracles in the community. Thank you for releasing me. And I get that. I am not good at miracles. I am often not very good at mundane, let alone miracles. But let's carry on in the Bible account of what caused the growth of the church. So most of us, I include myself in this sort of standard human condition of believing that the life I live is kind of how everyone lives their life. And then I add in how my folks lived their lives and maybe even how my grandparents lived their lives. And we assume sort of more or less everyone's kind of like us. And now the problem is, of course, if I said, well, that isn't true, you know, you get further back and it gets, it, you know, life was very different. And of course, people you would all agree, well, of course, you know, the Middle Ages and all that jazz, well, you know, life is way better now, except the days that it's not, and, you know, you'd have that conversation. However, if we're not careful, we can apply our current understanding of how life is without taking too much care, and we will apply what we think of as normal to historical times. And particularly, we are often quite unaware of how much the principles of Jesus' way and the Bible have infiltrated and are woven through the Western culture that we think as the norm. So we think it makes perfect sense that there should be equal opportunity for people with equal skills and abilities. We, it makes perfect sense that children are viable little people that should be loved and respected and assisted to grow up to their fullest possibilities. So, we can pass over this next account of the early community of followers of Jesus without really noticing how jaw-droppingly different 
that community was. So in this time, 2,000-ish years ago, when this community was starting to grow and gain influence and more and more members, patriarchy was unabashedly in rampantly in place. Women and children were property. Women were property of first of their fathers and then of their husbands. As much as 10 to 20 percent of all people, men and women, in the Roman Empire were slaves. Another noticeable percentage of the population would be at any given moment in debt bondage. If you owed somebody money and you couldn't pay, you had to work it off in their service. If you went to prison, your family had to bring you clothes and food so that you could survive in prison. If you became widowed and your family wasn't available, the family that you grew up in wasn't available, when you were widowed, your options were basically prostitution and starvation. There were no safety nets for anyone. So when we read in Acts 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their, was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that, those who owned, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Let's jump back for a moment to our current day, our present time. And once again, we're in the downtown, and we meet that person on the sidewalk who asks the question, hey, uh, you got some money for food or for the bus or just for money? And we hesitate. We hesitate. Now, if I were to ask you, why do you hesitate? I think one of the top two or three reasons would be, well, I'm a little sketchy about what you're actually going to do with this money. I'm afraid you're going to use it for drugs. You know, well, rather than food or bus fare or whatever you've asked for, and I don't want to push this too, too hard, but you know, as you stand there with your caffeine delivery device in hand, some of you potentially with a cigarette in the other, you're thinking, I don't have time for this, I just want to get home and have my glass of wine to take the edge off the day I've had. You're thinking, oh man, and I got to stop at Shoppers on the way home to pick up my Viagra or my Ozempic. 
You know, we all have really good reasons to medicate. My reasons are good reasons. Your reasons are questionable. But we all kind of use drugs. But we've decided that on the street, right? So we don't know their situation. We don't know what they're likely to do next. But in community, that all changes. In community, we do know people's situation, what they need, what is likely the best help we can provide. So you had people in the community who said, okay, I'm not one of the apostles. I can't do miracles, but what I do have, I give to you. But what I do have, I give to you. So everyone can be part of community. And at this point, like me, you're probably thinking, that must have been quite the community to be part of. You know, everything's going good, there's miracles to be had, there's money for the needs, it's just awesome. And then we come to Acts 6. So in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now remember I mentioned earlier that if you were a widow, your options were not grand. And so here we have a situation where Greek-speaking Jewish widows were not getting part the food distribution that the Hebrew-speaking Jewish widows were. Probably an oversight, but there were lots of divisions amongst uh, Jewish people about who was true Jewish and who was not. And, and the disciples said, okay, that's not good. We can't have that happening. We need to choose some people. And we chose people who are, have wisdom and are of good character. And how would they know who those people are? Well, obviously, there are people in the community, people who have been observed being wise and of good character. And now they can be chosen because they are recognizable, because gifts are recognized and used in community. I always feel badly for people who tell me, no, I don't do church, and I don't do, you know, I don't do that Christian's thing. It's just me and Jesus. 
And I say, that's a brilliant start, you and Jesus, absolutely, number one. However, when it's just you and Jesus, you don't ever use your gifts, and no one uses their gifts with you. So, in this context, we have these people. I don't have miraculous power. I don't have land and property that I can sell and be part of the financial uh, assistance to the community. But what I do have, I give to you. And in this case, it's character and good use of the food that we have available so that there are equal distribution and there are no needs among the people. And life is good. If you can do miracles, if you have money, if you're able to volunteer, you're in the community. Except it was interesting to me as I was sitting in the pew how a couple times this morning we had people say, you know, there are people in this room and almost certainly some watching online who are saying, I love the idea of community. I would love to contribute to that kind of space, except I am struggling with my mental health. I'm struggling financially. I'm struggling physically. I'm a mess. I don't have anything to offer. So I don't want to be a burden or a bother. It's better for everyone if I just stay away. And of course, the ultimate end of this, it's better for everyone if I just stay away, is taking of one's life because if I wasn't here, it would be better for everyone. We have people in our community thinking that in their head, and I want to say to you out loud, that is a lie. That is a lie. Yes, that is a lie. On the purely practical level, there are people in this community whose gifts are not actualized unless you are here for them to use their gifts on. Just at the practical, hey, we want to have all this stuff happening. That's, that's one point. The bigger reality, however, is you do have something to offer the community no matter the state that you feel you are in. The reality is that at any given moment, anyone in the community can be a hot mess. You know, last week you were fine. This week, your mental health just went south. 
and you're a mess. You have nothing to offer. But Jesus said, you will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. So you know what's required for you to be in community? That you be in community. That's the bottom line. That's all that is required for you to be in community. When someone says, I have nothing to offer, that's when community can happen. And it's true, some of you. You may say, well, I'm not a trained counselor. I can't help with mental health. Or I'm not a financial planner. I can't help people with their finances. Or I'm not a medical professional, so I don't know what I can do there. But if you have waded through some garbage times in your life, you can say to that person who feels they have nothing to offer, you can say to them, I don't have any of those things. Can't help you with your mental health. Can't help you with your finances. I can't help you with your physical issues. I, I can't, I don't have any of those things. But what I do have, I give to you. I know how that feels. I've been in that place. I know the shame and discouragement and frustration and the I'm not going to look them in the eye. I know that feeling. And sadly, I can't fix any of those problems for you. But I can be here with you while you go through it. And when you say, it is all dark, I see no light in my situation. I cannot help you with the situation, but I can hold your hand and say, I see the light. We will get through this together. And that is community. Both giving and receiving are part of the dynamic of being in community. The only failure you can have in community is to pull yourself out of it. It's the only way you can fail in community. Everyone has something to provide to the community. Everyone has something to provide to the community. And you might say, well, I don't have, but the next part is key. But what I do have, I give to you. From a miracle to sitting in silence beside someone in misery. Both of those things are critical and a gift to community. The whole spectrum in between is a gift to community. And you might be thinking, okay, so what do I do now? Now what? If you can volunteer, we've already heard this morning, 
be part of the community and volunteer. Talk to the information booth at the end. Talk. Find out what's available. What can I do? Alpha starts this Thursday. If you have questions about, eh, okay, I hear you about the community thing. I don't know if I'm sold on that. Do Alpha. Do Alpha. Alpha will answer a lot of those questions. And you do it in community. You saw the Uversion app this morning. Get that on so you stay a little bit connected through the week and you start to build that community. You think, I can't do any of those things. You can pray. Tuesday mornings from 7 to 8 every week, we have a prayer time over here in the, in the church and you are welcome. It's come and go. Come when you can between 7 and 8. Stay as long as you can between 7 and 8 and then go on your way. And if you're thinking, yeah, well, if I could do that, I'd do lots of things, but I, uh. You know what? God was the original inventor of work from home. You ever think of that? So it's between 7 and 8 on Tuesday mornings, you can pray at your house. You can pray in your car on the way to work. And we're praying together. We pray for the church. We pray for the staff. We pray for our community. We pray for our church community. You can do that. And here's a weird one because I've been the tech guy forever. Go on Google. And if someone asked you, hey, I hear you go to Circle Drive Church. Should I come? And you would say, absolutely. It's great. Go on Google and give Circle Drive Church a five-star review. And you laugh, but you know 85% of people in North America, before they go and do anything, they give it a goog, and they check the reviews. Your five-star review is telling people that you don't even know, should I come to Circle Drive Church? Absolutely. That's what a five-star review is. If you think, well, I don't know if I could give it a five-star, then you should go talk to the info desk and tell them what's wrong. <laughs> don't passive-aggressively slag the church on the Google review. <laughs> and it's not community. That is not what community is. So we are all in this together. Everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer in community. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you know in this room the needs that are represented. You know the joys and the triumphs that are represented. And you know how everyone in this room has a part to play in the community of Circle Drive Church, this local body of yours. And we are grateful for them. In your precious name, amen.